Mute on. Oh, there it is. Okay. Woo. That's loud. All right. I am really grateful, thankful to be here this morning. Thank you for the invite and uh, the time we get to hang out this morning. Uh, I'm Pastor Tim from Harmony Ministries in Middletown. Um, happy Father's Day. Um, I, I was kind of waiting to see how many hands would go up when that question was asked about breakfast in bed. Um, my, my daughter asked me yesterday, Dad, if you were to have breakfast in bed, what would you like? And I was like, nothing. I don't want to eat in my bed. I don't want crumbs. I don't want to spill things. I like a nice cup of coffee at the table with the news and, and catching the highlights of the games and stuff. Um, so uh, happy Father's Day for those of you who are uh, celebrating today. And, and I want to I wanna, uh, present to you this morning uh, a message called A Father's Charge. It's going to be a, a glimpse of the end of David's life, but I want to challenge you this morning, whether you're a father or not, there is a role that you play in the lives of this generation and the generations to follow. And maybe if you're here this morning and you're like, you know, Father's Day, it's not really my thing. Maybe you have a, a broken or a, a, an estranged relationship with your father. Um, I, I want to encourage you as it was shared this morning, that there is a heavenly father, there is a God that loves us. And as that last song pointed out, he is perfect in all of his ways. And no matter how broken things are here on earth right now for you today, there will be a time when things will be perfect. There will be a time where we get to experience the fullness of God and we get to really enjoy that deep, loving relationship and fellowship face-to-face. And I'm excited about that. I hope it's a little ways to come. I feel like I still have some things left to do, like watch my kids get older and maybe watch the Eagles win another Super Bowl. So we got some things on the bucket list. So this morning, uh, again, we're talking about a father's charge. If you want to open up your Bibles, if you have them this morning, we're going to start in the book of uh, 1 Kings chapter 2. But I want to think and encourage you to think and challenge you this morning to think about the defining moments that you have in your life. Moments when we decide to become a Christian. Moments when we get married. Moments when we met that person we were going to marry. Moments when we have kids moments when we start a new job, all of these elements, they come important to us because there's these before and after elements. And, and this is not uncommon. We, we think in this way that before I got married, I, I did certain things or I lived a certain way. I had milk crates for furniture and I ate frozen pizza like every night of the week. And after I got married, we upgraded to a sofa and we have like real food, and before I had kids, and after I had kids, and so we understand that concept this morning, I hope. So these defining moments, they become important to us because they're linked to a specific change. They're linked to a specific time. They're, they're linked to, to this, this memory, this reminder of maybe who we were and who we are now. And I, I think we have a lot of before and after moments still ahead of us. So this morning we're going to look at David. We're going to look at what's happening in David's life. David's rule is coming to an end. And this is a moment where he's got this special heart-to-heart, face-to-face moment that he's having with Solomon. Soon he's going to be gone. And Solomon is going to be taking over. And David, it's not unfamiliar for David to have these defining moments in his life. 
They think about some of David's, like, like if you're checking off the list, some of the most defining moments in his life. Like the first one is, is when he faces Goliath. And he goes out to battle Goliath and he goes from being an obscure shepherd boy to a national hero. A celebrity. And then David later would be anointed as the future king of Israel. And he goes from being this national hero and celebrity to Saul's most wanted. Like outlaw number one. And then he goes from being outlaw number one to after Saul's eventual death as the leader of this rebellion to this national leader, king, ruler. And it's crazy because David would rule for 40 years following that. David's old now. And he's a shell of the person that he once was. And here he is face to face with Solomon. And he's doing this exchange, this exchange of power, this exchange of the kingdom, this whole, hey, I'm, I'm done here. I'm giving it over to you. So I want you to read with me this morning, if you will. First Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, it says this. As David's time to die drew near, he commanded his son Solomon, saying, I am going the way of all the earth. So be strong and prove yourself a man. Do your duty to the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, and his testimonies according to what is written in the law of Moses so that you may succeed in all that you do and wherever you turn so that the Lord may fulfill his promise which he spoke regarding me saying if your sons are careful about their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and all their soul, you shall not be deprived of a man to occupy the throne of Israel. Let's pray. Father God, once again, Lord, we are grateful that you look after us as a father. I'm reminded of, of verses, scripture that tells us that you sing songs of joy over us, that you fight for us, that you, you hide us in the shadow of your wings, God, that you are a comforter, that you give us strength, that you give us peace. And this morning, I pray for all of those things as we look at this charge that David gives to Solomon. God, I pray that you would speak through me this morning. God, that you would open our ears, eyes, hearts, minds to the truth of your word, that we would be challenged this morning as we look forward to the future, but we look towards the generations to come as well that we would be challenged to make sure that what we're doing now is setting them up for success in the future, both in our, our building as a church this morning, our community, in our world. So, Father, we ask these things in your powerful name. Amen. Again, David's time is drawing near. He knows he's going to die. He even says, I'm going the way of the earth. Dust to dust, ash to ash, he's done. He recognizes this, and he gives Solomon a very specific charge, and we're going to start right with his first charge, and that is to be strong. He says, be strong and prove yourself a man. Now, I, I have experienced the loss of my father nine years ago. My father had a very wild, kind of weird lung cancer that was very aggressive and kind of came out of nowhere and it was a roller coaster ride but we got to this point where we knew it was the end 
And I'm reminded of that situation and how that kind of played out as we, we sat in the hotel room, lead, not the hotel, sorry, the hospital room leading up to his passing and him sharing wisdom and challenging me and encouraging me and thinking that it may have been very similar to what David was doing here with Solomon. When David looks at Solomon and says, Solomon, listen, I need you to be strong and prove yourself a man. And, and here's one of the things that I remember as a kid growing up in the church that I grew up in, hearing this verse and someone saying, be strong. This isn't a time for emotion. And I, and I look at this and I think this couldn't be further from the truth. David's not looking at Solomon and saying, hey, be strong. Keep a stiff upper lip. Don't show any emotion. Be a man, Solomon. That's not at all what he's suggesting to his son. And why that's important for us to understand is because what David is saying to Solomon is this, Solomon, I'm dying. I'm done. I'm going the way of the earth. It's time for you to grow up. It's time for you to become the adult that you've been training for that we've been grooming you to be, that we've been instructing you to be, that we've been teaching you to be. Solomon, it is time for you to show yourself to be that man that we have poured so much time into. Solomon had been groomed for the throne, but he was always living in the shadow of his father. I can't imagine, I mean, even in my life, my dad was a pastor pretty much all of his adult life. All of my life, he was a pastor. And everywhere I went, oh, you're Pastor Herb Strait's kid. I know your dad, Pastor Strait. And I remember, I can't go anywhere. I had to go like six counties over to do stuff that would get me in trouble because everybody knew who my dad was. And I got to imagine that Solomon is living in the same kind of like shadow of his dad thinking one day I'm going to be king. But how could I ever be a king like David. How could I ever, I've never killed a giant. I've never led a nation. I've never led armies. Like I'm, I'm just, I'm Solomon. The pressure that's got to come from that mindset and David's first charge is Solomon, it's time to take the training wheels off. It's time for you to step into this opportunity. For us this morning, our first challenge is this. It is time for us as leaders, as men and women, to continue to grow up spiritually. But not only that, but it's important for us to look towards the future and prepare the generations to follow for that same opportunity to grow into this mature, spiritual, healthy Christian. David is preparing his son for leadership. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 and 16. I'm going to read those in just a second. But there's this, this picture that Paul gives to the church in Ephesus. And he starts off listing all these spiritual giftings and the roles that people play, teachers, pastors, elders, prophets. All of these have an involvement. All of these have a role. There's this spiritual element to the church body. And this is what Paul says, starting in chapter 4, verse 14 of Ephesians. He says, as a result... As a result of all of these things that are listed, the teaching, these offices, the people that are, are building community together, he says, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of the people, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. 
He says this, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, that is Christ. From the from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. There is a body community that individuals make up. Just like Solomon was challenged by David, hey, listen, it's time to grow up. It's time to, to kind of put your big boy pants on. It's time to, to, to act like an adult. It's time for you to step into this role of leadership. Paul is telling the church in Ephesus the same exact thing. Now is the time for you as leaders to step into this role and embrace it. And I work a lot with students. I work a lot with, with young adults. And there's these really crazy buzzwords that get thrown around deconstruction, apostasy. And sometimes we hear those words and we think, man, that's a scary thought. And how, how are we dealing with generations of believers that have grown up in church? And maybe even in your church today, you can think of that maybe one or two or more persons who has grown up in your church from a baby into adulthood and they're deconstructing. They're walking away from the church. They're being caught up in the trickery and the foolishness of man. It is important for us to understand as fathers, mothers, mentors, leaders, we have a service to the individuals in our church. We have a service to perform to the body of our church. And it's on us to set up for the next generation. There's a, a gauge that we're given by the author, author of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5 Verses 12 through 14 says this. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the actual words of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unacquainted with the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. The solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to distinguish between good and evil. These verses can link together to form the principle of understanding what does it look like to grow? What does it look like to mature? What does it look like to understand that whole mindset, not being a child, not being tossed here and there by waves, carried about by, by craziness, by winds of doctrine, by something that sounds good and looks good, and maybe it tastes a little good, but it's not good for us, to this mindset of understanding, where do I fit in this? Am I an infant? Am I, am I still, like, how, how long does infancy have to be? How long until we get to the point as leaders we're willing to say, look, I'm, I'm not here for the milk anymore. I want, I want the meat. I want, I want nourishment. I'm 40. If I had a milk diet, I might put on some weight, but I'm not going to grow healthy. We need nutrients. We need to grow. We need to be stretched. We need to exercise. We need to continue to push forward. And here's why. You have elders, you have deacons, and you have deaconesses, I'm assuming. And I don't know who they are. I've met some of you. But I know that you won't be here forever. I won't be here forever. As parents, we won't be here forever. So here's my question. Elders, deacons, deaconesses, who's replacing you? 
Who's, who is that Solomon that you're saying, listen, I'm, I'm going to encourage you and I'm going to mentor you and I want you to grow? What's that next generation of leadership look like? How are they learning about these roles today? Fathers, mothers, how are we being critical in training our children? Not critical from the standpoint of like continually criticizing, but being intentional and planned and purposeful in developing our children. What are they learning in the home? How is that impacting their spiritual lives? Because we don't have to wait until they're adults. I've had parents say, well, he'll figure it out when he's older. I'm telling you, they won't. It's not how it works. Our church, our building, our congregation, it's all built up on individuals. It's all a collective group. It's a collective group. This building is a collective group of people who have decided, hey, it's time for us to grow up. It is time for us to become the church. It is time for us to put the needs of our community first to do what God has called us to do, to to grow and to bloom and to grow our future leaders. This isn't just for the leaders. There's two parts to this. There's David giving the charge to Solomon, but Solomon also has to take it and listen. It'd be one thing if David just kind of said, listen, I'm giving you a fake crown and I'm still going to pull the strings behind this. I'm still going to kind of be the person in charge. You're just going to be the figurehead. That's not at all what he did. He gave Solomon the crown. Solomon had to take on this role. Solomon had to embrace this responsibility. So younger generations, it's on us to embrace these opportunities to grow spiritually, to experience health, to experience leadership, to step into being mentored and understand, hey, this is for my good. This is someone who wants to invest time in me. Why? So I can grow in my faith, so I can grow in my relationship. We should be actively searching for people to teach, to lead, to show us how ministering to the church, how this allows us to step into responsibility little by little by little. And we understand this. From a business perspective, you wouldn't just hire someone off the street and be like, hey, you're the president of my company now. Good luck. No, you'd train them. You would stay with them. You would make sure that, you know, they they could handle the job. But little by little, okay, they got this. Now it's on to the next thing. And then hopefully you get to that point where you're like, I'm good. I can retire. I can step off and ride off into the sunset and get a house in Florida and live on the Keys and not have to worry about things. Now, I know that when it comes to our spiritual lives in our church, there's really no retirement. We just find the next thing that God calls us to do and we do it. But who are we training to take our place when we're gone? What is the legacy that we're leaving behind as leaders, spiritual fathers, earthly fathers? David said, be strong. Show yourself a man. Be strong, church. Show yourself that you've grown spiritually, that you're ready to take on more, that you're ready to give more. And the second thing David says is found in 1 Kings 2, verse 3. David says, do your duty to the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, and his testimonies. David says, listen, you have a responsibility. Do your duty. That means do your duty, Solomon. You're going to be king. You have a responsibility. I don't know what your duty here is in Fishkill. 
Every time I say that word, I have ADD. Things like pop into my head. I think about like Wreck-It Ralph. They're like, duty, ah. it's like potty humor. It's, it's for the little kids. Our duty. We have, I don't know what your responsibilities are. I don't know what you have here. There's our, our general responsibilities to make disciples, to minister to our community, to lead healthy spiritual lives to let worship be a part of who we are. It's not just what we, we do on Sunday mornings with instruments and our voices, but it's our, it's our way of life. What is our responsibility? What's our job? Whether it's making sure that the toilets are running or it's counseling people or it's making the big decisions of the church that we prayed for this morning, financial decisions, direction decisions. All of us have a responsibility to these things on some level. If David is encouraging Solomon, I want to encourage you again. It's about embracing these things. Is it scary? Yeah, it can be scary. I'm sure for Solomon becoming king, it's like, this is a big deal. This is a huge kingdom. One of the largest kingdoms in history. One of the most powerful kingdoms in history. One of the most richest kingdoms in history that he's taking over. Now, you're probably thinking, listen, eldership here... It's not that serious. No, it is that serious. I'm telling you, a generation hangs in the balance. And if that generation fails, so will the next one, and so will the next one, and so will the next one. It is creeping outside the doors. It is banging on your houses. There is a culture and a society that says we don't want the ways of God. We don't want to walk in light. We don't want to embrace the commandments. We don't want to embrace his ordinances. We don't want to embrace his testimonies, his statutes. But in the end, this is all the same charge. David says, Solomon, obedience is the key to success in this situation. Embrace it. Embrace obedience. Teach it to your families. Teach it to the generations. Teach it to the people to your left or right. What does it mean to be obedient? Well, it means to do exactly what David is saying. Do your duty. Walk the walk. Walk in his ways. Keep his statutes. Keep his ordinances. It's interesting. Solomon lived this out for the most part. He started off really well. And the wisest man, why? Because he could have prayed for anything and he prayed for wisdom and God said, you got it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take care of you. But Solomon didn't stay faithful and he didn't stay obedient and things came crashing down. This is what Solomon writes at the end of his life and this is, Ecclesiastes is one of those books that you read and you're like, man, this is like depressing and it's sad and it just feels like empty and I, I think that's the whole point of it because everything that Solomon says that he tried to do left him feeling empty and sad and depressed and futile. It was all vanity. It was all worthless. It was all empty except this one thing. Solomon says, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. For 12 chapters, Solomon talks about, I chased after fame. I chased after money. I chased after women. I chased after entertainment. I chased after wealth. I chased after possessions. I chased everything that I could possibly chase, and it all left me empty. But there's one thing that left me fulfilled and left me sustained, and it's this. Fear God. Keep his commandments. For this is man's all. 
why is this relevant to today? Obedience is a priority, in my opinion, at any age. And I'm learning this as a father of three girls, age 13, 10, and four, nine. Nine, almost 13. 13, nine, and four. 13 gets it. Nine is almost there. Four is like obedience, no thank you. And you get it. If your parents, you're like, it makes sense. That makes sense. But understand something. It brings me joy when all of them are obedient. And it brings me more joy and pleasure when, when, when they're, they're doing what they're supposed to do. And this isn't in terms of like when they clean their room and when they do the dish. Like that makes me happy too. But what makes me really, really happy is when someone comes and says, you know, I just want to tell you, your daughter, man, there's, there's integrity there. There's character there. They're not perfect. I get that. Because there's also those conversations of, so your daughter like bit her friend and hit the other kid in the head with a shovel. And it's like, oh, you must be talking about JoJo. That's my four-year-old. She doesn't get it yet. And if you're parents or if you're a mentor or if you've worked with someone and, and you understand when someone comes to you and says, hey, there's character here. There's integrity here. There is something different, something that sets them apart. And that's what David is challenging Solomon with. Obedience will set you apart from everything else. Make that a part of your nature. Paul prays for us, prays for the church in Ephesus and in other places where you see these things where he talks about learning how to experience God, learning how to experience how, how to interact with God, how God interacts with us, how we can know God, how we can know every dimension of God, how we can live in that and embrace that. And all of that starts with obedience, the height. Depth, breadth, width, all comes from obedience. Why does our job not stop as spiritual leaders? Because when we're called to that next thing, obedience is following it. And hey, can I step out maybe in like a limb here? Sometimes that obedience means I need to lay something down for the next generation to take up and run with. Sometimes it means that we have to give up ourselves to, to stop. David, it doesn't say David immediately said these words and died and drifted off. It just, David said, I realize I'm dying. I'm old. I can't do this anymore. There becomes this time where we have to look at it and go, it's time for the next generation to take over. It's time for me to, to make sure that I'm here to support these leaders. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to mentor them. But I'm going to start taking my hands off and moving away. It's not easy because we have to be faithful. We have to understand, like, I'm giving up control here, but I, I love this ministry. I, I, I babied it from the beginning. I, I started this ministry. Okay. We've, we are kind of in a similar situation. When we first came to Harmony I don't, a number of years ago, we, we kind of nursed the youth ministry and the children's ministry back to health and watch to get healthier and bigger. And now we're looking at what's next for us. And there's a part of me that goes, I don't want to let this go. It's my baby. I've taken care of this. I've watched it grow. Like I, I know what it needs to do. I know what it should do. But there's also God looking at me going and saying, yeah, but obedience is going where I call you. It's laying things down. It's picking things up. It's this constant moving, constant growing. We're not called to be complacent. 
We're called to live this abundant, freeing life of victory, and that comes from obedience. The early stages of something is typically where we create our habits, where we learn what the behaviors are. So if we're trying to teach obedience to these generations, to the people that are to come, it's important for us to be obedient. Some of my favorite verses right here, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul writes, I urge you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Staying faithful, staying obedient, the link to that. Paul reiterates the same thing. David said, do your duty, walk in his ways, keep his commandments. Paul says, do your duty. Live a lifestyle of worship. Let your obedience, let the reality of who God is in your life show in everything that you do. Your life is an act of worship to God. What you think, what you say, how you work, how you impact the the people around you, how you engage with the culture around you, all of that is worship to God. And if there's worship that God accepts and if there's worship that God doesn't accept, then that says something to us. The way I live, it's acceptable to God or maybe I'm drifting off into this gray area where my life isn't the kind of worship that God's going to accept. Walk in his ways. Paul says, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed. Transform your mind. Keep his commandments. Keep his ordinances. Paul says, renew your mind so that you can prove what the will of God is. There's a link here to living out the abundant life that Christ offers in our obedience. Worship is a gauge for that. Worship is what we're purposed to do individually and corporately. There's a responsibility that we have to the generation now, the generations to come. As we look towards the future as leaders, what are we leaving behind? What comes next? I'm working in school again, taking classes and writing papers and statistics and reports and surveys. And listen, there is a lot of data that points to this real kind of like ground-shaking truth. Young people who begin well as Christians usually fall away after they graduate from high school or college. Because along with the responsibility for being a young, independent adult comes the responsibility for maintaining their own faith. That means choosing to follow in obedience and do what the Lord commands. And we know this. As our kids get older, parents are less able to encourage their children to go to church They're less able to influence their children in the decisions that they make. They're less able to influence those behavioral decisions, whether it's learning to read the Bible or pray or spend time fasting or whatever spiritual disciplines that that impact our lives the most. Should we do all of those things? Yeah, we should. But some of those things have a deeper impact on different levels. 
I know people that they fast and they like, man, they get so much out of it. I fast, I just get angry. And maybe I need to fast more and that would change. I don't know. But I know like for me, when I'm meditating on the word of God and spending that time in prayer and thinking about it, I'm, I'm restored, I'm renewed. And I hear God and, and, and it's, it's more clear to me because that experience is different. But I want to make sure that I'm teaching my children, you will not experience God the same way I do. In that, how he speaks to me might be different. I've, I've said this when I, when I teach, getting to understand, if I take my three girls out into the woods, we're all in the same area, we're all experiencing the same uh, woods, the same nature, the same creation, but I have one daughter who's likely to look at the flowers and the trees and find beauty in it. And I have another daughter who's probably looking up into the clouds and seeing the, the, the cloud shapes and the animals and whatever's happening with it. And then I have one daughter who's probably like face first in the mud trying to catch frogs and who's making a mess. We're experiencing the same thing, the same situation, just differently. And it's the same with our relationship with God. We, we sometimes try to pigeonhole, you have to experience God this way. You have to feel this emotion. You have to respond this way. We're, just, we're, we're trying to force something on someone who's not wired that way. If you have more than one child or if you've been responsible for more than one, you know they respond to things differently. Discipline, love, affection. It's the same in our spiritual lives. We need to teach that responsibility, understanding how obedience, how faithfulness, how that falls onto them once they are gone. Because at some point when my kids are out of my house, I'm not going to be able to call and say, did you do your homework? Did you do this? Did you do that? Make sure you get up for church. Yeah, dad, I got it. Then when they hang up the phone, I don't know what they're going to do. It is our job to lead them into an independent, healthy, spiritual life. Here's three questions to think about before we move on. Are you leading the charge at this important time in the lives of the next generation? Are you out in front of this? Are you leading them to a place where they take ownership of their faith? Whether it's in your own family or in this church. And the last question, this is the most important one. Is their faith, commitment, and love for Christ theirs? Or are they borrowing yours? Are you creating a healthy environment that embraces doubt, questions, fear? That embraces how to properly engage with culture? That embraces love? It doesn't mean acceptance. It means, hey, I still love people. You are responsible for these things. Just like David was responsible to Solomon. One of the things we have to realize is that this is not something we can put off for somebody else to do. There are some things that happen in my house where I have to maybe ask once or twice, like taking out the recycles. And I know that at some point, if it doesn't get done, I'm going to have to do it or what's going to happen. I'm going to have a back porch full of recyclables and I'm going to go out to get cookies and I'm going to trip over them and I'm probably going to lose my mind because I've been asking for two weeks straight for recyclables to go out. When really, like, there is an element that looks at it and goes, you know what? It's not my fault 
Sorry, it's not my, my kid's fault that the recyclables are still here. Yeah, I did ask them to do that, but for the past two weeks, I've let them ignore it. I've let them not do it. I've given them permission to be disobedient. I've given them permission to not be faithful. I've given them permission to make the determination to say, I know you asked me to do this, but I don't want to do it. I'm not going to do it. And now I'm getting to the point where I'm going, how come this stuff is still here? And what is going on? And now instead of looking at me and going, you know what, Tim, you did not set the right example. You let them go. You let them off the hook. And now you want to get upset because they're still recycling out here. It is up to us to make sure that we're not letting them put off these spiritual disciplines, letting them put off how to live an abundant life and freedom. It is up to us to make sure that they're not going to look at it and go, well, I can figure this out later. They're just kids. They'll figure it out sometime when they get older. No, they can figure it out now. We can help them. We can guide them. We can direct them into figuring these things out now. Solomon also writes this in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years approach, when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Solomon gives a warning here to the future generations because he's writing these verses. He's writing this portion to uh, his son, to his family, to whoever's going to follow. And he says, remember the creator. Remember God in your youth. Remember early on when you experienced God. Remember who God is because there's going to come a time, no matter what the situation is, no matter how difficult it gets, where you're going to start and question and go, is this real Is there an impact to this? Does this mean anything for my life? And if we're not answering those questions now, and we're not building in these responsibilities now, and we're not guiding in obedience, and we're not teaching the next generation how to be faithful, Solomon's warning is this. You're going to walk away. You're going to look at it and go, I have no pleasure in this. There's no joy in this whole relationship with God. There's no peace. There's no no comfort. There's no reality to who God is in my life anymore. It's an interesting contrast how he starts chapter 12 and how he ends it. Don't forget this. Don't forget this. Don't forget this. Love God. Keep his commandments. Love God. Keep his commandments. The most important thing we can do as we get ready to close shortly, is to teach our children well. David says to Solomon in 1 Kings 2, verse 4, so that the Lord may fulfill his promise, which he spoke regarding me, saying, if your sons are careful about their way, to walk before me in truth with all their heart and all their soul, you shall not be deprived of a man to occupy the throne of Israel. Um, We can fast forward through history. We know how it ends. We know that both the kingdom, the kingdom splits, there's devastation. One stays successful because some of the kings follow God, they love God. There's these mini revivals that happen, but ultimately there's a great falling away and total destruction. The good thing is that opens the door for Messiah, which we're all grateful for. We sang our songs this morning about it, our awesome God, the, the, the power that changes our lives. But David is challenging Solomon because God charged him with the same thing. David, be faithful to me. 
of all the things that David did in his life, there's always that one thing that keeps coming back to mind is that David is a man after God's own heart. Was he a violent man? In some ways, he was a mighty warrior. Was he perfect? No, he fell into sin. He dealt with pride, dealt with lust, all those things. But he had it instilled into him. I'm going to pursue God. And when I fall and mess up, I'm going to pursue repentance. And I'm going to pursue righteousness. And I'm going to pursue obedience. What does it look like to be obedient and to be faithful? When we fall and get knocked over, we get back up. We make the the decision to get things right. And we move forward in the right direction. I don't know if that's the example that the, the church as a whole is setting for generations to follow. That's not just specifically for Fishkill. That's not specifically for Harmony. That's, that's for everyone. We look at some of the stuff that's going on right now, different denominational groups, whatever it is. I mean, there's, there's some dark, dark stuff happening. Is that the example that's going to be left for the next generation to follow? Or can we reclaim what a real, healthy, vibrant, abundant life of freedom truly looks like? It's our responsibility to teach our children well. David addresses this point in his son's life by reminding him how he was taught, how he is to teach, how it continues. This starts in the home, and and at some level, Solomon understands this because he writes in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he grows older, he will not abandon it. And I've heard this verse probably a million times. Tramp a child ago, as long as we bring them to church, they're going to, no. It's not what that means. My wife and I were just talking about this yesterday and, and the example that, that she was sharing, and, and maybe you've heard it before, and, and I've heard it before. It's, it's this whole idea of planting a tree. And as you plant the tree, you get the ground right, and you level it out, and you put the tree in, and then you stake it, and you put ropes around it so that as the tree grows, it grows up straight. It doesn't matter what direction the tree grows. If you don't stake it, it's going to grow in that direction wherever it goes. Why? Because it has a natural desire to do what? To go towards sunlight. It's going to pull and push and move in any direction that it can because it wants the sunlight. And as Solomon writes this, I can't help but think it's the same thing for us. If if we want to be successful in training our children, we have to get them to understand obedience, faithfulness. This is a responsibility that they have, not just to us as parents and as leaders and mentors, but to God. Why? Because if we take those ropes off, they're going to just keep growing in whatever direction they feel pulled to the most. Reminds me of Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Paul writes, Don't, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Those are those, those, those ropes that keep us moving in the right direction. Generational sins are a thing. I'm learning in my life, that my critical spirit, and when I get grumpy, my kids are doing the same thing. And I go, oh my goodness, why are you so harsh all the time? And then I'm like, maybe I shouldn't have said that because when I look in the mirror, maybe it's because they're learning it from me. 
maybe, maybe this whole idea of training up a child in the way they should go, maybe I'm training up my children to be critical and to not handle frustration the right way. So as they're growing, they're learning, this is acceptable behavior. When Paul writes, be not deceived, God is not mocked. He, it's not, at some point in time, God will punish me for my sins. It's understanding that as I'm pursuing the things that are against God, there's evidence, there's, there's this stuff that's growing up in my life that lets me know that this is not the right way to go. Paul says, if you sow after the flesh, you reap the flesh. If you sow after the spirit, you reap what the spirit gives. It's all about the evidence. It's all about how we can look at ourselves and how we can take care of what we are and who we are. Why? So that way when the next generation looks up to us, they can know that they can trust our leadership. That they're seeing real people, warts and all. Because it's not about what it looks like on the surface. If there's no substance behind it, trust me, the next generation, they already know. They can tell a phony what's fake. It's ingrained in them. Look at social media. Everything's got a filter. You can make yourself look bald. You can give yourself a makeover. You can give yourself whatever you want to do. It's all about the facade. If there's no substance to it, they're not going to care. It's not going to be real. I'm going to invite the worship team up. So I think there's a closing song, right? I hope so, because that would be really bad to put you on the spot like that and be like, no, we don't do that anymore, Pastor Tim. So we're going to sing Google Father. I don't know. There's probably something in line. Here's the question for you guys to consider. What am I planting? What am I cultivating? What am I creating for the next generation? Am I an example of spiritual maturity? Am I strong? Am I grown up? Am I mature? Am I faithful? Am I teaching them what comes next and how to live? Let's sing.